Okay, so thank you. So 3.30, 4.30, 5.30, 6.30, and 7.30. Five showings tonight. And uh, we, we are supplying one of the baby Jesuses. Um, and uh, and that's, uh, that's baby Piper. She was Jesus as well on, uh, on Friday. And she was awesome because she just cried at the top of her lungs the whole time. And it was wonderful. It was so great. And uh, that girl's got some, she's got some volume. Um, so I think she's doing it again tonight. So if you just want to go and enjoy that, that would be wonderful. Here's what we're going to do uh, this, uh, this morning. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, what we're, what's happening uh, because it's so close to my heart. Um, Sarah had the joy of when I was around about 17, which is almost 20, 25 years ago. <sighs> 25 years ago of hearing my first sermon. And um, we <laughs> I preached on, uh, on who will release me from this body of death from Romans 7 uh, to a youth group. Um, the, here's the thing. I remember that so vividly. And I remember Sarah sat right in front of me with this beautiful smile and thinking, what is he doing probably? But here's the reason I share that. I, I always remember my first sermon. And to, today, we're going to get to share that um, with two young men that it's an honor to spend uh, a time with each week, which are my two interns, Adam Parsons and Jameson Thomas. And, and I know they'll remember this day for the rest of their lives. And both of them have a call of God on their lives. Both of them feel that preaching and pastoring and being part of ministry is what God has called them to. And it's, it's just it's so wonderful to be able to be part of that at their age as a church where we can we can uh, allow them to express their gifting. And, and I know that you'll encourage them. I know that you'll, uh, you'll enjoy what they have to say. We've been working on it in the week. Well, they've been working on it, and I've been kind of dipping in and helping them as we go. And, and on Saturday morning, we came, and they preached it to me. I was sat right at the back, because apparently that's the most popular area to sit when you're in the church, not at the front. Um, so I sat at the back, and we taught. So I just know that God is going to bless their words. Um, so they, here's what they're going to do. They're going to do, uh, first part is going to be Adam, and the second part is going to be Jameson. And then I will do some... Uh, I will lead us in communion and hand over to Sarah the worship. So can we pray for these two young men? I think that would be good. Adam and Jameson, why don't you come on up? We'll pray with you t- for you t- both together, and then I will hand the mic over to Adam. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these two young men, these young men of God. Um, Father, first of all, I give you praise and glory and honor for the way that you have called them, the way, Lord, you have, um, you have drawn them to yourself, that, Lord, they love to talk about you, they love to work for you, and, God, it's, uh, it's wonderful to see that upon their lives. And, Lord, I pray now in the name of Jesus as they take this um, huge responsibility to share your word with your people, that, Lord, I pray, but by your spirit you would empower them, that you would charge them up, that, God, that it would be your words and not theirs, that it would be more of you and less of them. Um, and, Lord, it would be a blessing to them as they speak, as they stand in the gap and share your word to us. So, Father, I pray that us as a church and as a f- church family, that, Lord, we would receive the words and we would consider them. And, uh, and thank you, Lord, that you have communicated it to the Adam and Jameson so that we might hear them this morning. So, God, we bless you and praise you for them. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. 
Amen. I need to say the notes that you have in your hands, the handouts, they produce them. And if you look very carefully, you'll enjoy one of the questions that they placed in there for the community groups to uh, consider. Um, but you can follow along with those notes as well. Okay. All right. Well, I welcome you all here tonight. I'm Adam, Glenn's most delightful intern. And today we are going to be discussing the topic of hope. Hope is, some, is a fairly pertinent subject in Christmas. It's, I can't recall if it's today's Advent candle or if it's one of the upcoming ones, but it's one of the biggest themes of Christmas, and it's something that I don't think as a church and as a society we understand very well. And what exactly is hope? How would any of us define it? And Viktor Frankl, a well-respected psychologist, defined it very well, I believe. He defined hope as where we seek our meaning in life. Where we seek our meaning in life. Hope is the thing that we seek to find fulfillment, the thing that we seek to give our lives purpose and give our lives meaning. And in our lives, we seek a lot of things to find hope and to give our lives meaning. And I know in my life right now, what I'm hoping for, what's giving my life meaning, is the end of exams. I'm in my first year of university. I've written three exams this week. I've got another two to go. And that's all I can focus on. All that my heart can dwell upon is the end of exams and what's going to come when that comes. And that's another part of hope that is very important, is it's forward-looking. It's looking to the future. And there's a lot of things we seek in our life to satisfy. This Christmas, we may be seeking beautiful fireplaces, beautiful spruce trees, beautiful warm clothing, snow, furs. There's a lot of things that we're seeking in our life to satisfy us and to give us hope this Christmas. And frankly, nothing in our lives is going to satisfy us. And to illustrate that, I have a bit of a story to tell you guys. It's a story of a young lad back about, I don't know, three, 4,000 years ago. This young lad was respectable, famous, the son of the king. Not the favorite son of society, but the favorite son of the king for sure. And from an early age, he was called by the king and anointed to be the next king of Israel. Despite not being the oldest, he was going to be king. So he had a lot going for him in life. He had a lot to hope for. And as life went on, God came to him in a vision, and he said, I will give you whatever you want, and it will be yours. And this man said, you know what? I'm already pretty rich. I'm already going to be king. I need wisdom. So God went ahead and made this man the smartest man in the entire world at that time. So not only did this guy have fame on his side, not only did he have wealth, but now he's got intelligence. This man has everything that our society would look for to hope for in life. And this man, after having this for a little while, this man's Solomon, if you haven't figured that out yet. Son of David. He's in the Bible. And this man, later in his life, wrote this keen verse. Ecclesiastes 1, 13 to 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You see, Solomon placed his hope early in his life on his wealth, on everything society thought would be good, on his job as king, on his wisdom, on his intellect. 
And he realized that all of these things, everything in the world, is a chasing after the wind. Nothing in his life would truly satisfy him. And I think in my own life, that's definitely the case of in my life. I would consider myself in many ways to be like Solomon. Not as amazing as Solomon, of course, but I am pretty amazing. But I grew up in a wealthy family with loving parents, and I had everything that this society would see would bring me joy. I had a new car when I was 18. I had a beautiful family. They're sitting right in the row right there supporting me. I have basically my entire extended family in Kelowna out here to see me. That's how supportive they are. And it's actually making me a lot more nervous. But yes, I've got a loving family. I've got a beautiful house I live in, a beautiful dog, very cute dog. And I've got a lot of friends who I'm very close with, I've got quality relationships with a lot of the people around me. And I entered a crisis probably about two years ago. And it was just a cycle because I realized I was still unhappy. Despite all of those beautiful things in my life, my beautiful family, my success in work, I also had a business, so I was kind of successful and important. But <laughs> success in work, beautiful family, wealth, I had it all, and nothing was bringing me happiness. And following that was guilt, because I was like, I've got everything. Why am I not happy? What is it that I need? And I think Leo Tolstoy, a famous American novelist, puts it far more eloquently than I could of that stage of my life. My life came to a standstill. I could breathe, eat, drink, and sleep, and I could not help doing these things. There was no life, for there were no wishes, the ful fulfillment of which I could consider reasonable. If I desired anything, I knew in advance that whether I satisfied my desire or not, nothing would come of it. Had a fairy come and offered to fulfill my desires, I should have not known what to ask. You see, Leo Tolstoy reached the point in his life that he realized striving after things of this world would not satisfy him. And that's a point that I reached in my life. That's a point that Solomon reached in his life. Solomon, I don't think, made the right decisions later on, but that's probably another sermon. And today we're going to be discussing two people who place their hope in the right thing in life. So if you'd all like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25, that'll be our passage for today. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about them. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. 
She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to all who were waiting for him of the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have in this passage two people who have very different but surprisingly similar life stories. We have here Simeon, who is considered just and devout. He is considered to be upright towards men and upright towards God. That's what devout and just means. He loved God and he loved men. And he was likely a well-known religious leader of that time. Historic texts point to Simeon around the time that Jesus was born. And he was a very respected teacher. He had the respect of society. He, had, he was like Solomon. He had everything society would expect would make you happy. But still, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for a hope. He was waiting for salvation. He knew that these good works and everything society valued wouldn't satisfy him. And we have here also Anna. Anna is the epitome of what society wouldn't have valued at that time. She was a widow. Women of that time were valued by their husband. It's an unfortunate fact, but that's really what gave women value was if they were married, if they were bearing children. And this woman was a widow of 84 years. And the translation could mean that she was widowed for 84 years or that she was 84 years old. So she's either 84 or she's over 100. And she as well is seeking a hope. She spends all her time. She was likely rejected by her family. That's why she's living in the temple. And she spends all her time fasting and praying night and day. And she's looking for a hope. And both of these people find that hope in Jesus. As soon as they see Jesus, they instantly see that satisfaction of what they're looking for. And it's not a partial satisfaction. It's not a slow transition. It's fairly immediate. It's fairly drastic. They both see Jesus as the fulfillment of everything their lives have led up to. Jesus is the meaning of their lives. Jesus was the meaning of his just and devout works. It was the meaning of Anna's devotion to God and fasting and praying night and day. And that that fulfillment they feel is just instant. And Simeon puts it very eloquently. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. He's done. He's fulfilled everything he's required to fulfill. He's met Jesus. He's found his meaning in life. And he doesn't have to keep seeking after a new savior for Israel. He doesn't have to keep seeking a salvation for himself because he's found it fully and completely in himself. Or not in himself, in Jesus, sorry. It's quite the opposite. And there's a certain way that they both respond with this. And it's the same way that Jesus affects your life when he comes into your life. They both respond with gratitude. They both worship God, and they both bless God. They both respond with joy, with intimacy with God. You see here Simeon, who's waiting for his meaning in life, and then he gets to pick him up in his arms. He took Jesus up, the creator of the world, his God. He was able to pick him up and cradle him in his arms. And that's the closeness you can expect when you accept Jesus into your life, is that you get that intimacy of holding Jesus in your arms and being comforted by that intimacy. And then they both respond by spreading the good news. You see here that Anna, as soon as she sees God, she gives thanks to God. And then she begins to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That means she just started preaching it. 
And she preached hard, and she preached long, and I'm not sure how much longer she had left, but she preached the rest of it. And now Jameson's going to come up to illustrate the second half. Thank you very much, Adam. So, um, Adam spoke on how nothing in this world satisfies except the hope found in Jesus Christ, and he's uh, Simeon and Anna to reveal that. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to take sort of the same story and I'm going to apply it to our lives and make it a little bit more practical and stuff. Not that Adam's message wasn't practical and very good. Well done, Adam. Um, but th this is reflected into our life in that um, if you've accepted Jesus. Um, your hope is satisfied. You've been satisfied. Your heart is, is satisfied like that. Um, you've met Jesus. However, we're still hoping because we know he's coming again, right? That's what he says um, before he departs. He says, I'm returning. So the hope that I'm talking about now is the hope that we're currently in, where we're hoping and waiting for Jesus to return. And we're hoping and waiting actively. Okay, that's going to be the key thing is that, we're, um, is that we're being active in our hope. We're not being passive. Um, the term for hope in the Greek, or, or for wait in the Greek that um, the passage uses, that Luke uses, it's very, um, it's very much look for. It means to look for with a favorable reception, I believe. And it's very anticip anticipatory, and it's very active, okay? So that should be reflected in our own hearts. So I have three steps, and unfortunately, they're not going to pop up on the slides because I crashed the computer a minute before the service. So, whoops, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> The first one is um, to hope we need to be committed to being obedient. The passage says that Simeon was just and devout. And uh, commentators often say that the justice there, where it says that he's just, that's reflecting his attitude towards other men. And devout is his, uh, his attitude towards God. It says that he was just, so he was fair to all men, and he was genuine. And then it says that he's devout, and he was devoted to God. And it's kind of interesting that they're very synonymous with what um, Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, 34 to 40 where he talks about the two greatest commandments, which are the first one, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and the second one, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So they sort of line up like that, right? Like just, and then loving your neighbor as yourself, and being devout, and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, the key here is that he's obedient. He, he read this in scriptures, and he knew this, and he knew this was God's will for him and his fellow people. And so he taught that, and he lived that. Um, in our lives, it looks very similar. Um, Obviously, the key to being obedient is to be obedient. So, like, that's pretty clear. I can't make it. There's no secret steps to being obedient. It's just you have to be faithful, and you have to trust that God is, is faithful himself and that he fulfills his promises. But what we need to do is spend time in the word, whether that's teaching, reading, studying, or even in prayer. We need to know the will of God in our lives and the will of God as it's revealed through Scripture and the will of God as it's revealed to us personally. Because how are we supposed to obey him if we don't know what he wants us to do, right? So that's step one. Step two is we need to be church-oriented. It says that Anna never left the temple. Anna was there 24-7. She prayed and fasted day and night. That is dedication. She's intense. Um, because, because of her age and because of her social situation, um, it's likely that her family had abandoned her. Like Adam said, he, he stole my line, but whatever. <laughs> so... The passage sort of reveals to us that she didn't have a lot else. Widows weren't allowed to own land. They were, like, women were considered second-class citizens, but widows were, like, second class of the second class. Like, it was just an unfortunate social situation of the time, and, like, there's nothing we can do to re remedy that, and it's just how it is. Um, 
But when, when her family fell through on her, when her husband passed away, and when she had nothing else, the people that were there for her were the people at the temple. The temple became her home, and the people there, the temple goers, became her family. Um, and that's very much the same as it should be with the church. Um, we need to be a family. We need to be united in supporting and welcoming in those who don't have anything and supporting one another and praying for each other and being dedicated and sacrificial for one another. Um, Jesus says in, in Mark 31, or 331 to 35, um, it's, where, it's a passage where his, his mother and his brother have come to, to talk to him, and he's teaching um, some disciples. And a messenger comes and says, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. They want to talk to you. And he's like, well, I am talking to my mothers and brothers and sisters. Like, these are my people. And he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, this is my family. And we need, we need to be united um, in that. So practically, how this looks is um, to get connected. I'm not calling everyone to sit at the church 24-7 because that's a little ridiculous. Um, however, it would be good for people to be connected at the church. There's a connect desk out there, and I don't know how often it gets used, but um, if you're not connected already, if you're not engaged in, in church, you need to be. It's important for life. Um, as well, join a community group. Um, it's really awesome. I'm in the Young Adults Community Group, and we have a lot of fun, and it's, it's, a, it's awesome. Adam is as well. So, and if you are in a community group, um, get dug in with your community group. Start living life together. It's not enough to just meet with each other every Tuesday night and discuss the sermon. Um, the purpose of community groups is that you, you become your own small little mini church sort of thing. That's the idea behind it, is that you get into each other's lives. Um, as well, you could volunteer. Uh, we always need new volunteers, whether it's for sound or, or for, for video. We actually need video people. Kyle is covering for Adam today because Adam's been doing it every day for the last like two months. So volunteer, get engaged at the church. It's one of the best ways to make friends and to just feel like this is your home. This church is, is a home. It's not just a building. We're a body. We're together in this, okay? So get connected and build relationships. Maybe consider taking three minutes after every service just speaking to people you don't know, just speaking to someone new. Um, I'm sure you'll make friends. It's kind of hard not to make friends when you're just sort of talking to people. But it's just a good way to open up, to be bold in your faith, um, and to share your faith and to share your walk with God. Um, yeah. Then the third point is we need to live Christ-centrically. Um, that's a word. <laughs> so we need to live looking unto and hoping in Jesus at all times. Both of them were living in this state of anticipation. They've both been revealed to them by God that a Messiah was coming. Like the passage says that the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Um, so they lived their whole lives looking and hoping for Jesus to come. And, and then he comes and he provides the answer that they're looking for. And if you're not a Christian, you need to <laughs> accept the fact that nothing in this world satisfies and you, you will live in a constant state of hope, whether or not you're aware of that. It's just, it's how we live. We're made in the image of God, and we're made to need God. So you're, you'll never be fulfilled until you surrender your life to Christ, and, and you accept the fact that only he will satisfy you. If you are a Christian, it means you have to surrender your life again and again. Jesus says you have to take up your cross daily. We have to, we have to work out our faith with meekness and, and, and all the other stuff that comes along with that. Um, no one is saved and then just perfect for the rest of their life. That's, that's not how it works. We're counted, we're counted perfect in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of God. However, we have to con continue working for holiness in our hearts. And 
the best way to do that is to look into Jesus and focus on him. It's hard to be living um, and not following God, not obeying his will, not engaging in the church, and not, not living in, um, in purity when all you're looking at is Jesus and where every, every facet of your life is based on Jesus and you're focusing on him with, with all your heart, mind, and soul. We need to continue to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Not only has he started this when he died on the cross, he was the author then, um, but he's coming again, and he's coming to finish it and restore us back to what we're meant to be. Oh, my voice cracked. So just to wrap things up, Adam showed us how nothing in this world satisfies except for Jesus Christ and the hope found in him. And then I've just sort of shown us how we need to live and, and be in this state of hope where we're being active, we're not being apathetical, we're not being lazy, where we're anticipating what to do and what God's calling us to do. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to um, giving your life to Jesus and sacrificing and, and holding through everything else with an open hand and holding Jesus with a closed hand, to use Glenn's little analogy. So enjoy Christmas. Adam used that thing as an example for Christmas and stuff like that. Enjoy Christmas. Enjoy your families. Enjoy presents. Enjoy gifts. Those things are all good. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But keep in mind what, what the holiday's all about. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about celebrating his birth. And in a couple of months, we're going to celebrate his death and what he did for us. So it's important to remember what he did on the cross. But it's also important to remember that he's coming again. And we need to be living in a, in a way and in a state in which um, we're prepared for that. So, yeah. That's it. Wow. Was so good. Thank you, guys. They did really well, didn't they? Pointing us to Jesus, making much of him. Um, thank you for the amount of time and effort and prayer that I know you guys have put into it. And uh, I'm so proud in a godly way. That's good. Um, let me read you some scriptures. We just come to communion. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Sarah in just a second. It says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, one of the things that really struck me with what the, the guy said was, um, was how you had two very, very different people hoping in Christ. You have somebody who was a leader in society, and then you have uh, Anna, who was really a, a reject in many ways in society. And they both got to see and hold Jesus. There was no um, qualification needed other than reaching out, lifting up their eyes, experiencing, feeling, being in the presence of Jesus. And as we come to uh, our communion this morning and the, the bread and the juice that represents the blood and the body of Jesus, it's an open table. We are not um, 
we're, it's, it's an open table in the sense that all are welcome. And the Bible says that, that we need to examine ourselves, though, and, and, and examine ourselves to make sure that we're not taking the bread and the juice in an unworthy manner. So that's really important because it actually is very, very clear that it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bad thing to do that. So how do you have an open table and yet be unworthy, uh, sorry, and, and not be worthy to take the bread and the juice? That seems a little bit opposite. Well, it all hinges on Jesus. And we've heard this morning from the, the two boys that they, it's, it's all about Jesus. Our hope is found in Jesus, that we can ex- if we accept Jesus and we look to him as our hope and our savior, then there is, there's true salvation found there. And, and so if we come to the table, we come with the knowledge that it's only in Jesus that we are saved. It's only in Jesus that we find relationship and salvation. And just like Anna and Simeon, we can come expecting that and, and hoping in that. And so you are welcome to take the bread and the juice this morning if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you have submitted to him. How do you do that? It's so beautifully simple. All Simeon and Anna had to do was be there. All we have to do is very simply is to pray, ask for forgiveness, look to the cross. I point there because it's usually right there. <laughs> the, the cross. We look to the cross and we just say, thank you, Jesus. You died for us. We ask for that forgiveness and him who took our sin and our shame and it died with him. And his newness, his life, his salvation is given to us as a gift. And so when we come to the Lord's table communion, that is what we're remembering. We're thanking Jesus for this open table, this open gift for those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we, we're so grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for the word that we've heard from Adam and Jameson. That, Lord, that there's hope and salvation found in you and you alone, Jesus. And that, Lord, as we center ourselves upon you, Jesus, and make you our center, as we commit to your family, as we dedicate ourselves to you, God, there is so much hope and life found in that at this Christmas time. But, Lord, I pray that as we come to the table now that that God, as we take the bread and the juice, that we will, be remem- we will remember afresh that beautiful sacrifice you made for us, Jesus, that you went from the manger to the cross, that, Lord, you came on a mission, and your mission was to rescue, rescue us from our sin, that, Lord Jesus, you lived the life that we are unable to live, And you died the death that we truly deserve to die for the sins that we have willingly committed. So thank you, Jesus, for your cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken and your blood shed for each of those who believe in you. So, Lord, I pray now as we worship and and, uh, as the team leaders in that, and we open up these tables of communion, that, Lord, that this would be a precious time. That, Lord, you would be pleased with our sacrifice of praise and our thanks and our gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. So any time in the worship, feel free to come and, and get some bread and some juice. There's some tables at the back as well, and, and we'll remember Jesus together.